Well, uh, Sean's just handed me a, um, a business card for um, Justice and Gus. Uh, these two do psychic readings, and uh, she's a psychic medium. She's working on becoming a fool, but not so far. And you can get, uh, <laughs> well, you, you can find out, oh, Sean, what are you wearing there? <laughs> let's, let's get the gigs on. Uh, look, this is pretty good. I tell you what, you know what this reminds me of? <laughs> Podcast 8 with David Macmillan. Hi there. It reminds me of uh, the man with the X-ray eyes. <laughs> and Ray Meland was a doctor, and his vision started to become more and more able to see through people. I think I saw it. Was it a black and white movie? Um, well, I saw color stills, but it might have been the poster. But this is the creepy part. He had to wear lead spectacles just so he could get around. Um, you have not been dosed with acid watching this video right now. We are wearing our rather large sunglasses. People from time to time send us things to wear on the YouTube videos. This is not a plug. It is just a gift from Lady Justice. And Lady Justice is a criminal justice paranormal psychic medium. Well, what does that mean, Sean? Does she only <laughs> do readings for criminals? Along including. the lines of an authority figure will come into your life. <laughs> you will be confined to a small space. This is your future. I think she'd be pretty much spot on with most criminals. Yeah. The party next to you at the restaurant in the tomorrow's evening meal, are actually police over eavesdropping on your conversation with wiretaps. Mm. Your wife, for 20 years, has been an undercover spy. <laughs> <laughs> She's working for the Russians. Yeah. Services, personal, private, psychic, medium readings, and more. If you'd like to contact Lady Justice, she's at um, www.instant... go.com. Yes, it's not really good having a business card where you can't um, really read it. <laughs> it is instantgo.com justice readings. Okay, I think that'll do for the commercial part of the. David Macmillan, international kingpin, hunted across five continents, incarcerated in multiple con countries, in multiple continents. Incontinence, not incontinence. A jail tourist, <laughs> I was called once. Did a story jail tourism. <laughs> Escaped from death row on Thailand, the only Westerner ever. And if you've not seen all these other episodes, they're in the description box below this video. Our links to not just all of the stuff we've done with David, to his own YouTube channel. Please go over to David's YouTube channel. I'm actually doing some now. Um, and we were sort of talking about that. Um, one of the themes is um, to do with... Um, picking up uh, the ransom money from kidnappings. And uh, you'll be able to see that on my channel probably before you actually see this. But Sean might put it on his, you never know. Um, but it did raise um, one important issue for um, people who are thinking of getting up to mischief, not that we encourage it. But um, if the person you're uh, either robbing or doing harm to, and in the kidnapping, it's the the family, rich dad or whatever. The richer they are, the worse it's going to get for you. Now, I think most people would probably guess that anyway, but not to the extent 
the one I'll be talking about is uh, uh, it was a kidnapping that was to take place in um, well the victim was going to be taken to Lebanon but I did point out that because the father of this young man was media magnate Rupert uh, Murdoch yeah sure he'd uh, he probably wouldn't blink at paying the 15 million but he'd probably offer 50 uh, for the heads of those who'd done it now here's what I'm getting at if there's enough money involved if there's huge sums every scoundrel in those five continents that you referred to will come out of the woodwork and by one means or another they will say they've earned their money and brought the kidnappers to justice they will be not just ruthless, but they will even manufacture uh, uh, kidnappers. They'll produce dead bodies with littered evidence that, uh, yes, this is their hideout and so on. Uh, taking on such a huge target does mean you will never have any peace. Uh, there, um, I think Howard Hughes used to keep uh, a staff on all the time to deal with people that offended him. And you don't hear their stories, which is even more worrying than having heard them, because I guess they couldn't tell them, but still. So, Sean, you've been keeping busy with Epstein, but where we are here today, you know, it doesn't really matter when I say that you've been keeping busy with Epstein, because if this doesn't go to air for a year, you'll probably still be busy with him. <laughs> A dead man can live on. The story that keeps running, Epstein, Prince Andrew. I know, it does. But today we're um, going to plunge into um, Pakistan, particularly Karachi Central Jail, a famous location uh, for locals because a lot of um, politicians... Um, <clears throat> Well, they call themselves activists, but um, really criminal gangs masquerading as uh, uh, political groups. And rich people have all been in there, um, including Benazir Bhutto, the, the daughter of uh, Ali Bhutto. And she was, what, prime minister f off and on a couple of times before she died, wasn't she? Benazir Bhutto. Yeah. So Benazir Bhutto was incarcerated. Yes, she was locked up there, in the, in the women's section. But um, they, uh, when you're in there, you can go and visit the women's section. Ah. Yeah, uh, which I'll, I'll, I'll come to. And just but, to recap for people who are new to this then, mm. why are you in this prison in this particular moment of your story? Okay, let's imagine that we're descending from outer space and like Neil Armstrong trying to find a safe place to land on the moon, you're looking for somewhere you know, friendly. And by chance, you go over Karachi with its 17 million, I think, people sprawling out, and you'll see a big rectangle down there. And it looks safe to land because it's a bit of open space, but it's not. It's one of the most notorious prisons where routinely when the middle class um, people get arrested and brought in. They go straight to the torture ward. It's called the Bund Ward. Bund meaning closed. It's closed, all right. 
but you can hear it from outside. What's the preferred method of torture? Um, I ended up in there, uh, and I'll tell you why uh, shortly, or eventually. Um, start off easy, um, just handcuffed around the clock uh, behind your back. You have to make your own toilet arrangements like that. Um, these guys uh, kindly you know, uh, held my pants in place while I squatted. And there's a bit of protocol, you know, you turn away at that moment. Um, but um, leg spreaders, which are long bars of iron uh, with manacles either end, so that now you think this is a bit odd, but is it painful? It is after some time. And you spend days like that not being able to walk. Uh, fetters, they call them. Um, and then when that softening up's done, it's straight in with the leather belts. Um, and so the next communication um, that the poor slob has with his family is, you know, screaming for money, they're going to kill me. Um, they won't, but they'll you know, get as close as they can. But anyway, your um, point was, what was I doing there in general? I am um, just over 40, I think 41 years old, um, since the age of 20, uh, being involved in smuggling, I found myself locked up in different places from uh, a supermax prison in Australia, uh, which only held 48, Sean, but there were um, 35 deaths a year for its 48 inmates. Now, they did close it in the end. Those figures spoke for themselves. Then to um, a Thai prison um, where I was about to be sentenced to death and had no real alternative than escape, which luckily I did because I didn't realize how big the damn place was. Um, and then having got away through Singapore and then into Pakistan and safe into uh, the, the care of my old friend from my very early days when my wife and I tried to take uh, our own version of the Silk Road across, um, starting out um, right, really actually we were more retracing Alexander the Great's <laughs> footsteps. We had three big mobile homes and musicians, and I think our soap maker came along or something like that. But uh, uh, it, it was quite a big caravan. So I'd met um, Mir, his lordship, uh, Lord John Magsy, all those years ago. Um, and um, he was... Um, and he was in, in jail at the time and had uh, called me over about his cousin who'd been kidnapped. Um, kidnapping's coming up a bit today, but kidnapping there is very routine. It's not, um, it's very rarely somebody jumping out of a van in the street, but um, it's mostly inviting you around and just not letting you go. Um so as I'd in the in the previous, well, I think, part five or six, uh, I'd spoken about um, having to buy back Little Iftikhar, the kidnapped boy, um, 
which I brought along with some uh, antiquities which were being looted by, um, well, they were sort of pre-Taliban people, but there, there were lots of those. So <clears throat> over this uh, uh, career of darkness, I've ended up in big prisons from time to time. Um, I've lost everything and, and regained things, but of course the things I can't, get again, and my wife was killed in a prison fire, there's no turning back death, uh, and to find myself um, arrested in uh, Karachi, uh, mysteriously too, I, I wasn't really up to anything, but those are the dangerous times, Sean, when you, um, because you know everybody, oh yes, David was involved too, of course, it doesn't take much. Uh, and what made it worse was that the uh, arresting officer, who was quite senior in the anti-narcotics force in Karachi, um, had got into his head um, that I was some huge mafia figure. I had tentacles everywhere. Um, the, a courier had been picked up who said that... Uh, uh, I'd owed him money from gambling in the Philippines, and he was under threat he had to do it. And, oh, it doesn't matter what, look, if you if you try anything with David, he'll have you killed. He's got assassins everywhere. Mm -hmm. Well, this guy who had been, um, had American DEA training, took that personally, and he was a kind of upper-class Karachiite. The, the rich people there often like to get their kids government jobs. Because even if they never go into the office, they have a job for life. So that's the kind of starting point. And official jobs, um, including higher-ups in police forces, uh, are good to have. So this was uh, um, a well-spoken but huge uh, guy called uh, Ahmed Bush. Babush, that was his name. Babush. Babush, yes, it stayed with me. <laughs> um, that was his introduction to me. And I was plucked under unusual circumstances. My picture was stuck on the wall at Lahore Airport, whisked my plane down to Karachi. I saw the uh, gloating face of my old nemesis, um, Bill Shankman from the USD. Eh? <laughs> old Bill used to make it his business to try and make things interesting for my life. And um, once again, I, I saw the life that I'd um, rebuilt here in London just crumble away. I had a, a girl in my life who knew nothing, nothing at all of, of what I'd been up to. I had a little uh, muse house in um, down in Chelsea. You know, sure, I just remembered, if somebody's got that house, if they go up the stairs, there's um, one of these plugs on the wall. You know, they used to make little stashes out of them. You put a special key and it opens up. If you feel you're in, uh, well, I won't name the street, but if you have a little one-bedroom muse house with uh, nice skylights in there um, and a PowerPoint halfway up the stairs, there could be that £2,000 still stuck behind that. Would that be in old notes? It would be. So you'd have to take it to um, a money collector. Can you can you still do that? Because um, wasn't the purpose of changing the notes to thwart people who've got money stashed? Oh, 
I suppose it would force them to try and bring it out. But really, I mean, they do that in India a lot. They've done that five times. They've um, virtually overnight said, oh, as of Monday, um, the 5,000 rupee note won't be legal tender anymore. They don't replace it with another one. They just say, no, we're going to have low notes. Because you've got these guys in America and Central and South America as well that that happens, and they're in prison. Mm. So they send guys out to dig the money up then, and the money gets robbed. Yeah, uh, surprise, surprise. (laughs) 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 Yeah, what are you doing, Pedro? Oh, I'm just going out a bit of uh, digging in Arizona, (laughs) you know, the thing. Oh, really? Yeah, well, I'm off for the weekend too. Something just came up. (laughs) (laughs) Just to say one thing. Yeah. Bill Shankman, is that his name? Yeah. Bill Shankman, DEA agent, is a reoccurring theme in David's books. And I love how David ends his book. Is it Escape or Unforgiving Destiny? No, it'd be Unforgiving Destiny. Unforgiving Destiny, how there's a moment, I'm not going to spoil it, but at the end there's a Shankman moment. And it's it's very delightful to read. Well, of course, here... Um, Links to his box in the description box below this. That's under show more, by the way. You click on that and things happen. Or if you're on your phone, there's a little down arrow. There's probably lots of arrows on a phone. Mm. But you've got a point. Um, yeah, I, Bill was, of course, my nemesis. But in the greatest disappointment, apart from being hounded and destroyed a few times by him was that he never had any good lines for me. Um, He would be there in, and and he was there in Karachi that time, he was there in in Bangkok in the Chinatown police station. And I think by the time I got used to seeing him, I'd say, well, Bill, I see you're here, which explains a few things. Um, He got justification for his interest because Unknown to me, um, one step removed from me was Tommy from Thailand, whose uncle had uh, rather foolishly um, kidnapped the the wife of a DEA agent. It was meant to drive her around town and and drop her off and and give the agent a scare, stop him from roaming around on the farmlands, uh, annoying the opium farmers and so on. But it all went wrong and cast all the traffic lights and the kidnappers there with a revolver with a trigger uh, tied with wire and his thumb on it. So, well, you can't shoot me because she'll go. And then, oops, I slipped. So, you know from, uh, what's his name, uh, Kiki? the Kiki Camarina. Mm. Now, he was American agent, wasn't he? DA agent, yeah, from Cali, yeah. Mexico. Now, how did the Americans take his torture and death? Well, well, there was a mixed reaction. So you've got people, top brass people, and um, government officials in America kind of like saying, you know, that's what happens to people who are on the front line. No big deal. But then you got the DEA saying this is, the, you know, you, you can't kill a U.S. citizen on foreign soil this is not allowed to happen so america's got to have this huge reaction now to find out what's actually happened here and bring people to justice but there was 
Because the CIA were involved in smuggling cocaine around that time and all oh, that sort of oh, stuff, there was all these so conflicts going on. Purified as some American innocent abroad being uh, killed. Kiki Camarina, he realized that if he just kept arresting people and just posing for a picture with a, some coke and a dealer, it would make no change to the world. So he went above his pay level. And he started to look at where the money was going. And that money was going to top government officials. Some of it was financing the war in Nicaragua, Americans fighting the communists. Um, so once he went after those people, he was supposed to be kidnapped and, and warned off, but the kidnappers went too far. Um, well, yeah, certainly did. But the point is there, isn't it, that the, uh, the US do have a policy of... Uh, and it's a sensible one of hunting down and destroying anybody who harms a, a in general a U.S. citizen, but particularly an official. Yeah. So when you end up, as I did by proxy, as it were, on the list of people who were to be destroyed, um, people didn't argue with Bill if if he'd say, "Oh, I'm looking at Macmillan's latest thing or whatever it might be," even though there was no U.S. connection. Uh, I I've, I've known. Um, a few kind of mobsters and interesting people over there, but always resisted doing business because I, I could never, I could never really get the feel for. Even when I was in New York, I, I got a better idea there, but <laughs> once you keep going further and further west, the people get flakier and and stranger. And and in Los Angeles, they struck me as very much kind of Hollywoodish in in that they were kind of acting everything. So I couldn't judge if somebody was an informer or a double agent. And and my friends had also, my English friends had said that, uh, look, be careful there because um, in most circumstances, as soon as somebody gets arrested, they'll say to the police, all right, what's the deal here? Who do you want? I'll serve them up on a platter with trimmings. I was lucky because in Arizona, I built a scene from the ground up with all the local people. So everyone knew everyone. Uh, so right. if anyone came in from the outside, we knew right away. And even when they um, submitted the request for wiretaps to the judge, they said, whenever we send on the cop cops to these people. They stand out. They always come in. We're from out of state. We want to buy some pills. It was uh, so obvious. Right. Yeah. And I mentioned Kiki Camarina. If you are interested in his full story, my new book just got published. It's four stories that intertwine. Kiki Camarinas is one of them. It goes way beyond what Narcos Mexico has said about Kiki Camarinas. There's so much more to it than that. Anyway, that's available worldwide on Amazon now. It is Clinton, Bush, and CIA Conspiracies is the title, subtitle, from the boys on the tracks to, surprise, surprise, Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, don't tell me he gets in there. He's in there. Oh, well, that's a very long title, but um, <laughs> I'm sure people will work it out. They, all you have to really know is Sean Atwood. That's the name to remember. Put that on Amazon, 13 books will come up. Yeah, spring to life, they do. So, um, <clears throat> before I get totally lost here, uh, this um, Karachi uh, arrest was worse than the Thailand one. The place, it wasn't a matter of, my, my normal approach, Sean, is, okay, arrested, start looking around, what bars can be cut, uh, is there anybody I can 
manipulate to open a door for me? Do I have to convince anybody of anything here? What are the physical barriers? None of that applied. And here's why it's so hard to describe there, because it is really, for me anyway, um, totally alien. It took me so long to become not as one with the people there, but at least to have some understanding. <clears throat> when I was, uh, of course, my tie escape came up, and, and so I had slightly worse treatment when I arrived at the jail anyway. But, um, and this is a jail where people don't even go to court. They've got to pay to get on the court list. They've got to pay the drivers. They've got to pay, when they get to the court, they've got to pay to get out of the van. <laughs> they've got to pay to go and see. <laughs> Yeah, they even got to tip the guard so I can see the clerk so that I can pay the clerk to get before the judge. So there's things to know here. This is not. Are they allowed to carry money around to do those tips? Oh, yes, they ignore all that. But I did make a mistake once coming back from court. Um, I had a wad of money there, and I should have tipped the guard there, but um, he felt it. And, and I wasn't quick enough giving him a 500. Well, it looked like too much for that. So he, he made a nuisance of himself and then extended the list of people that I had to pay off by saying, well, we'll put it on uh, in the safe upstairs. Ha. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can imagine. Um, yeah, really safe. Has that word got any relevance to where it's going? So, um, yes, the short answer is that. And also, if you're um, in... It's a class system, A, B, and C. A is political, B is uh, rich people, or what do they call it? People accustomed to a better lifestyle. That's actually written in the law, would you believe it? Accustomed to a better lifestyle. Um, and C, which is just the dregs. They're the people that never get out of the dormitories. There's hundreds of people in there. Um, if they're lucky, they get uh, their uh, lentil and... Uh, and a of bread on, on a bit of old newspaper, but that formality is not always adhered to. Um, so there, you would need money because somebody went out and to do the shopping every day. The original, they used to call, it was named Chandio. Now, like, just to give you an idea of how old this institution is and its traditions, um, the original Chandio went back to 1948. But every guard who got the job as doing the shopping used to take the name Chandil. Um He did a wide range of things. You used to give him a little bit of a tip. to, and Oh, he used to go to the pharmacy as well. Uh, you used to write your own prescriptions out and, <laughs> and whatever you could get, he'd, he'd get them for you. Uh, he also did the shopping for the high end. One of, um, I'll just put this a bit back into sequence because I don't want people getting as lost as I was when I first went in there. So I, I won't go over the torture thing again, but you can catch it before. I'm more or less, after 5,000 pounds, I'm kind of left alone. Uh, but I go out to the prison. I don't know quite who my informer is, um, but it's supposedly a courier. And I think, well, I, I, don't, I, I haven't been anything to do with the business for at least a few months. Um, there was a guy who wanted uh, a retirement plan, not not the 
not that kind of retirement plan. Um, and he was meant to be organizing some couriers, but uh, this Billy Green, an ex-boxer from Liverpool, he was living in the Philippines, I can't see. Well, I'm speculating about this, and they've um, put me in the jail and sent me over to the MQM party's headquarters. Within the prison, all the political groups, MQM was a Karachi-based independence movement. And of course, a lot of them are in prison, mostly for things that are nothing more than looting and kidnapping and so on. But uh, they say it's all political. Anyway, I suppose it is in a sense. Uh, politics of greed. And I was made quite comfortable there. Their English speakers um, gave me a room to myself. Uh, and then there was a little scraping at the, the door uh, as I was finishing off um, some food they brought me. This is other prisoners, of course. Oh, we found a friend for you. We found an Englishman. Uh, yeah, okay. And who's led into the thing but this great steaming, quivering lump of jelly? Yes, the venerable Billy Green himself. He was the courier. And why? Because Billy didn't want to pay the couriers. He thought he'd do it all himself, like five kilos or something, um, and did it all wrong. <laughs> and then he could, he could pocket the money. And what was the solution when he got caught? Um, blame it all on me. And uh, viewers, three months before this, I'm at South Kensington on um, Dino's restaurant saying, Billy, uh, look, I've just given you 12 grand. Uh, if that's not enough, uh, that surely that'll last you in the... F I mean, what had he done for me? He got me a few passports, nothing much really. Um, but he was the kind of guy that always remembers things you know the truly stupid have got a photographic memory for you anything that looks like useful detail any of um he didn't go to the muse house but he went to the flat around the corner soaked it up like a sponge everything that was written down there and then it all regurgitated back out not to mention <laughs> and and you might wonder why he'd done this because i explicitly told him when to travel you do not take your photo album with you um, you don't take your address book. Uh, this is how to code telephone numbers. And I could tell I was wasting my time. You know, the coding system for telephone numbers is um, you find a 10-letter word or phrase and just substitute the letters. For example, frozen days, easy to remember, F-R-O-Z. F is one and S is zero. The letters don't repeat, so you just have to tell somebody uh, PT, a loaf, you know, whatever. Um, once when we were being um, under surveillance and, and every telephone line was tapped, Michael, my old partner, had to make up something that would make it not sound like code. As in, yeah, David, I was at this party last night. Uh, Freddie was there, and so was Olivia. I'm thinking, what the hell? And I started to realize I have to write down the, the names because it's the first letter of the names he's giving me, which is the letters for the new telephone number I have to call him on. But uh, these kind of subtleties are wasted on the Billy Greens of this world. And I can imagine, you know, I pictured him there at customs, suddenly having a, a, a 
full-on heart attack. And they're experienced people. They just would have pulled him over. And did they have to ask him, do you have anything to declare? It was more like, I was told, this indication it's not mine. I've got nothing to do with it. I had to do it. You know, what they, he even took um, one of the best concealment things that um, a Christian, the Danish guy, had ever asked me to build, which was an architect's drawing board. And resin plastic, white resin plastic, had been poured all over thin layers of dope. And then all the little slidey bits, a bit like the angle, angle poise thing on this, were over the um, the drawing board, along with um, sketches and things like that. Customs didn't touch that. They didn't, they, they, well, they picked it up, of course, tapped it, solid as a rock, put it aside. What does Billy do? There's more in there. Now, what kind of level of cowardice are we trying to rate here on a scale of 11 plus? <laughs> because the only reason he would say that, I, I imagine, you know, viewers can comment differently, why would he tell them something he didn't have? He was so uh, scared that if they later on found it, they'd come back to him and flick him with a wet towel because he hadn't said, oh, there's also some there. They didn't want to know. It took them apparently two hours to get into the thing. They were, one of them was sweating, well pissed that he'd even mentioned it. <laughs> you know, a nice phonied up suitcase there. Yeah, yeah, just tear it out, put it on the scales, that's it. You know, share it out later when the, um, the accused is gone. Um, <laughs> some of those things get recycled very many times. Oh, I can imagine. It's too valuable to throw away. Oh, yeah. And it can be used to set up somebody who's worked for you a few times. They're, they're quite ruthless there. Yeah. So this was to be my cellmate as well. Didn't, and, he, didn't he earn a nickname from this? Um, oh, well, he, 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 he wanted his own new passport. And he chose the name William Power. Will uh, Power. Exactly. I didn't even realize uh, <laughs> what, it, what it meant. People do that. <laughs> I had a courier once who was uh, known as the lollipop man because he looked like one of those guys that let the kids cross the road at mm. a zebra crossing. And um, I said, what name do you want your passport in? Um, Roland. I said, what, well, family name, nickname, something? No, I just like the name. Last name, Wynn, W-I-N-N. Okay. And it wasn't until later that knowing he was an inveterate gambler that um, I realized it was a dice thing. Mm. Roll and win. Mm. Roll the dice and win. Yeah. Well, he didn't always, but um, um, he, he actually was quite sensible and did retire. Um, actually, and one of the only people to... Uh, or few anyway, to bring me money after I was uh, arrested once. Not many of those. So he retired well. Um, now, the next morning, an American comes in called Mason, and his accent was from um, East Coast. Um, lived on a place called Egg Island or something. Um, but it's up in Great Gatsby Territory. Mm. So... He's wandering around the jail. I know nothing about it, but he tells me he's offering real estate, prime real estate. Um, he is, in fact, 
an agent that morning for the deputy governor of the prison. Uh, and I can picture the scene later because when Mason went, the, the deputy governor said the same thing to me. Um, yeah, rich foreigners have come in. Go get them. Mm. They're worth ah, 25,000. For some reason, that must be a lucky number there because they're always saying it. It doesn't mean anything. Oh, US dollar. Yeah. So um, I don't know why I'm using a Mexican accent for that. It doesn't really. <laughs> uh, it just seems, <laughs> venality seems to go with that accent, doesn't it? Um, well, just I said to Mason, does this accommodation, what is it? Well, you have your own room but by myself. Yes, I'll pay it. Just to get away from Billy Green. Do you want him? Pay for him too? Billy's looking up at me. Don't, don't abandon me. I know how you ratted you. You know, he said, I, I thought, Dave, it didn't matter because I didn't even know you were in the country. Well, well, that's fair enough, isn't it, Sean? I mean, you know, if, say, you left Arizona for a couple of days to come back to the UK, somebody got in trouble and finked you out completely from, well, arsehole to breakfast, as they used to say in Australia, um, <clears throat> then um, that's fair, isn't it? No, uh, Billy, I said that wasn't very helpful. Um, and what about your address book? Well, the look on his face said, no, I cleared up any ambiguities there that they couldn't understand. So burnt, you know, the, the Muse house burnt, the two flats in Earl's Court burnt. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, I mean, I'm not that stupid. He didn't know the safety deposit boxes or the codes to things. But um, I'd taken a lot of precautions before I left London. I even took my house keys and um, thinking on the basis, the more precautions you take, the less you're likely to need them. I took my house keys and left them by the drain pipe um, just outside, which came in handy uh, later on. Um, so I was prepared for the worst, but... Um, uh, the place I could have had the worst across the, the border in Afghanistan never happened. Mm. Uh, I suppose because there's not really meddlesome officials there that can't be shot, I suppose. Anyway, um, so I took the, I, I, I stumped up the money for that. It was um, all services, pro well, I have to call somebody, on my phone. <laughs> Um, <laughs> looking at it, slightly worn out, in you know, a double O or the plus sign. You know, so many people before me had had to call foreign countries to uh, get themselves out of trouble. Um, and I uh, went to B class, uh, which was a, a row of little. Um, uh, well, they were still cells, but they never locked them except late at night, and. Um, we had a bed because everybody else slept on the floor. A little bathroom, privacy. You, you can't get that in uh, many uh, Eastern prisons. You can't get it in Western ones. Um, that lack of privacy was so, so great, I've noticed, and people yearn for it so much. When I was in Thailand, an old guy who ran um, a kind of shell polishing um, a little factoryette that he could lock, because there were valuable polished shells in there. He used to rent it out for 15 minutes to uh, boys who wanted a bit of privacy so they could do their own shell polishing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, 
but it, it was good to have that. And the guy came in from the shops and I met the chairman, um, Usman Faruqi, chairman of uh, Pakistan Steel, who was in on corruption charges, a couple of government ministers, and um, but the, all, all the politicians had their own zones. Uh, but we'll, we'll meet them later. I was just looking at a, um, scratched out a, a list as I was fixing a flat this morning. Um, oh, there was uh, Benazir Bhutto's PPP party, the Sindhi Nationalist, the Baruchi Independence Movement, and the, the Bhutto clan. They're such a, you know, one of the big 22 families of uh, Pakistan, the, their nobility, such that um, the children became um, political leaders. Um, even before Benazir was assassinated. She was blown up, I think, in Clifton, in one of the suburbs of Karachi, by who knows who, but her husband, Mr. 10%, got arrested for it, and he was in at the time. That's right, that, that must have been just about that, that time. But we're to, this is 1999, so I, I think that came later. But I think he was there on um, uh, some other corruption charges. But he, he, he had his own house, but it was one that the prison had built for VIPs. Now he had to pay for it, of course. There was rent on that. But his cook used to say he was a mean bastard and never, never helped. Now, you get servants with this. Um, <clears throat> the servants are prisoners, and the prisoners have to pay the guards to get the job. If you're a prisoner who's got nothing, you are not going anywhere. You can't even get to court. If you are the badashi, the servant of... Uh, a moneyed person, the protocol is that after six months you have your servant freed. Well, the soon-to-be president of Pakistan never freed. Well, maybe he liked the Bangladeshi's cooking. Could have been that issue, I don't know. But I ended up with Bosai, who'd um, uh, had a kind of um, scrambled egg eye on one side from um, a discussion with the police when he was arrested. Um and some fat half-wit kid who was uh, the Dobie Waller who did my washing. And, uh, and in fact, I stuck to that protocol. I, I did get him released um, about six months later. But I, I'm, I'm saying this in a kind of a very straightforward manner, listing the steps taken. But bear in mind that I'm 41. I've been through a 10-year stretch in Australia, which was very nightmarish in the beginning with people being covered with contact glue and, and satellite and burning to death. Um, and, and somehow, strangely, worse than that, uh, the, the sounds of people being uh, beaten and chained, especially the, the, the young girls they had in, in that prison by psychotic guards, uh, at night and you can do nothing about it. Having that life taken away uh, and then building up another one after getting out of Thailand. Um, and, uh, you know, for a while I was a London gentleman. I had my own driver, um, Domingo, and um, uh, I really didn't do anything. I was... Um, like a Victorian gentleman did, just visited galleries and 
and, and I met uh, at some good cause or other I was putting money into, not to expiate my former sins. I don't, don't feel that any amount of money would sort that out. But um, Was being a London gentleman boring for you? No, I actually really liked it. Um, it I'd get up in the morning, I belonged to the local um, homes place, was it the gym down there in, in Kensington? Uh, pastry shop was very good, French. Um, it, I'd meet friends for lunch, uh, uh, catch up on, I saw my first IMAX film, I think, back then. Uh, just things I'd never got around to, but I suppose you've got a point about whether it was boredom, because sometimes things would come up and I'd be sitting there thinking, yes, TB, you say that can't be done, but let's not be hasty here. And Or, or some friend had, um, well, want something arranged and I'd make, make the introduction. You know, a bit like an, an old cook who can't stand to see anybody else in the kitchen. <laughs> I'd, I'd introduce these people together and instead of going back home, I'd be saying, well, look, you can't do it that way. Here, give me that thing, you know, and I'd be involved in stuff. I mean, going over back to Pakistan in the first place was uh, a bit of madness, really. Don't you still get the call of the wild these days? Um, not really. Oddly enough, no. Um, mortality is, is knocking at the door. <laughs> okay, if um, somebody came up with a good plan to steal the former Shah of Iran's uh, royal jewels. <laughs> well, who could resist that, eh, Sean? <laughs> oh, you'd be in on it, wouldn't you? Come on. <laughs> well, not kidnapping his son. Oh, the Shah's son? No. Oh, no, no. Uh, kidnapping is, is a terrible thing. It, You know what's terrible about it? There's no deal. You're not giving anybody anything that they hadn't already got. You're just depriving them of something. And not only that, um, nah, how can you call yourself a reasonable sort of professional criminal and then jail somebody? Become a jailer yourself. All right, the kidnappers are just desperados. That's why I had to um, really convince these Lebanese that this was, I don't think, I think it would have been a disaster because um, they just weren't savvy enough for it and they, they certainly wouldn't have ended up with the money. Lots of people would have, Ended up with lots of money, but not them. Um, no, there's this. Um, um, the Shah's jewelry has disappeared into the vaults of um, the uh, Ayatollah's palaces. I suppose when you've got dictators, you end up with another kind, don't you? When you get rid of the former one. Whereas the the previous Shah was a modernist. He was even going to get uh, Concord. I saw one done up in uh, Iranian um, Airways livery, but it was never delivered because uh, he went um, quite early. Um, they never recover those dictators. They always die in Paris or Khartoum or something afterwards. Um, and they often don't have much to say. But the new lot are um, just as much dictators again. And yeah. I think the Iranian one ended up in Arizona, in Paradise Valley or somewhere. What, the Shah of Persia? The, the, in the, uh, I know he went to Paris in the first place, but he did go to the US for medical treatment. Maybe he stayed there. Yeah. Uh, it could be that. 
But that would be the and and really it is not. I probably wouldn't even go for that. In the how many functional years have I got left? I'll probably be around for twenty. Uh, the bad never die really young, but um, I've got a lot of stuff that I, I still need to do. There's about five books I want to write. I want to write some fiction, um, and I've got one massive undertaking um, that will come out as a kind of a book, but it's more than that. Um, you've got everybody on YouTube gagging for your audio books. Uh, yes, uh, they're recorded and uh, the files are uploaded. So, Has it been submitted? Uh, yes, and uh, you said you there was quite a delay. A month, usually quality control checks. Do you know what? I think they actually just, whereas if it's in print, um, just on the fly-through, somebody can see there's something on the files. The computer knows there's something in print there. Print it. Doesn't matter how bad it is, but with an audio book, they don't want um, a computer reading it. So some human being's got to listen to. Uh, even if the computer says yes, there's sound on these files, uh, they want a human uh, listener to say yes. That's another human being. They probably just listen to some sections of it to hear that it's done at a right level of quality. Yeah, but Doubt I they would think listen the, to the whole thing. computer could do that. You would have thought. Why do they need that? Uh, anyway, that yes. Um, by the time this is aired, the um, I'm hopeful that the audio versions of uh, and I, I think I bring those books to life. Really, you've done both of them. Oh no! Well, I'm Escape Hole. Um, it's not finished, but that will come out as well. So, Unforgiven Destiny is the one you f yes. submitted. Yes, right. Brilliant. So the audio book should be up by the time you're watching this. Unforgiven Destiny description box. Oh, click I think down. so. Now, um, where what am I trying to do in in Pakistan? There's there's quite a few important things to know there. Um, uh, I'm trying to escape. That's what I'm thinking. Escape. Get back to London. Clean up the mess. Um, but then again, it's going to be a bigger mess than I thought because of Billy's uh, detailed. Uh, givings but I've bought myself B class and when I go to court I'm not handcuffed because um, superior people do not escape from prison Sean it's just not done when he's the judge and he's a fellow gentleman and you say oh, old fellow what was it you shot your servant oh, I don't blame you off you go um <laughs> That's kind of the attitude that's going to happen. Nobody um, wealthy enough to have either bought or been given um, uh, B-class uh, is likely to escape. And even the political people, these you know, ruthless ones, they don't do it. All their underlings are all chained up, of course. Um, I'd, so my escort in the court, I'd, I'd send him shopping. I'd give him a grocery list and he'd wander off. And I'd walk around the courts sort of uh, seeing what was going on. It was kind of interesting, uh, listening in on various hearings. And, and some people had their sort of best visits there because there weren't any bars in between. Um, and, of course, the big banker who was in Karachi Central Jail, um, he used to go to court every day. He'd arranged it in the banking court. 
He owned the Mehran Bank, which disappeared with 250 million US. There was so much money. And we were speaking before, weren't we, about the dangers of big money. And you can imagine having a hidden $250 million in Karachi. He, um, he had a Mercedes he used to, and an escort. He used to take him to court for his protection. And that's really the whole protection of the jail, the rangers in the towers with their rifles were not there to stop prisoners escaping. Prisoners didn't. It was to stop the enemies of those prisoners getting in to kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the walls were quite high. The place was built by the British, of course. Um, and actually had some quite fine architecture in the in the offices, worth looking at. Very kind of uh, mock medieval, uh, as you can imagine, turrets and towers and crenellations and all of that sort of thing. So um, uh, this uh, this bank owner used to go to the banking court and rented an office there, and he'd see his family and and. And, and people that, that was enough for him <laughs> he'd built the whole house in inside the prison mm-hmm. in one of its huge uh, if you go onto google earth you can get some scale of the thing by looking at the surrounding houses it's a huge bit of land probably highly valuable what would people have to put into google earth to see that a karachi central jail that's it yeah it'll come up and over there in um the corner, you'll see a sort of fairly peaceful, blurry bit. That's um, where the B-class section was. Now, um, um, by the, so I I'm introduced myself to the political people um, because it seemed like they were, not only did they have interesting stories to tell, but um, they were kind of worth knowing Um they're, they ranged from the relatively uh, genuine um, to, it's really hard to, one of them looked like, um, you know what his party was, they, who, who they were um, supporting and near on worshipped and had little photos of? It wasn't Benazir Bhutto's son who was died of poisoning in Paris. These people like the Kennedys, they're, they're getting knocked off everywhere. That son had married a Lebanese singer and the wife was now the head of that party. So these, this ruthless Ali Baba and his 40 thieves have got this very clashing picture of uh, you know, a quite nice-looking woman in, in the corner and that's the head of their party. Now, Khalid, um, he was, he, he seemed... Well, forget the politics of it, just, but just as an organizer, he, he seems a nice guy, uh, a genuine sort of person. I'd um, gone to him for a couple of things, um, uh, and he, he, could, he could solve problems in the prison and wouldn't simply be having his hand out. Now, a lot of his uh, followers, they were all in for various murders and things. Khaled, uh, maybe he'd ordered a few. I didn't care. And incidentally, his little house was made out of an old chapel. It was a, a Christian chapel that had been built within the prison. And it, it was kind of a weird atmosphere. They'd put all blankets and, and silks over the floor, and he had a kind of throne, which was the old altar. 
uh, and there's sort of little niches and a couple of old um, pews that were at the side. So it was kind of semi-religious. I felt like I was in um, perhaps India mm. visiting one of the gurus or mm. fakirs mm. or something mm. like that. Mm. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd known him uh, as one of them, but I needed his help that day because I'd just come back from a hanging. Um, they sell tickets to that, more or less. And the hanging was a miserable sort of affair. There's no good ones. But I, I had to see at least one. Um, the poor kid that uh, was being executed, um, he there was a big argument up on the gallows about his weight. And uh, <laughs> the... Oh, yeah, I really felt sorry for him. He wasn't following what the discussion was because there were so many English words in there because it was the prison manual, you know, which is all in English. And what they're really discussing is what size sandbags to put around his ankles so the drop will actually snap his neck. Oh, and he's up there looking great. like, no, they found the person who did it. I'm going to be freed today. Yeah? What's that on my ankles? Is that good? Uh, what kind of crimes do they hang people for? Oh, only for murder. Mm. Um, I think there might be a couple of th other things on the, on the statute books for, for death. They also have Sharia law courts to appease some group that they needed their numbers in um, their uh, parliament. Uh, they agreed that there would be Sharia law. After all, it is the Islamic Republic of Pakistan. But it would be in separate courts. So they make rulings and you make sure you just don't end up there. But having, um, most people would think it's a terrible thing to be uh, in a Sharia court. Yes, if you're a woman it is, but if you're a man it's not too bad at all because you need three witnesses to any event. It's, it's not good enough that somebody comes in and says, um, I saw Sean shoot the guy. Uh, need two more of those, and they have to be of good um, um, character in a religious sense. Um, but the, it, it, it's not often that. Um, oh yes, I forgot to say the, the death penalty did apply to narcotics. That was one of Benazir's little innovations to sound serious in the in the eighties. <clears throat> And just to make things fun, I was charged with this um, knowingly involved in Billy's little smuggling thing, uh, being held wanted for Thailand, and also a second set of charges in the anti-narcotics court, Benazir's invention, which carried the death penalty, a duplication, which um, was against the Pakistan constitution, double jeopardy. But I notice... Uh, Listeners, that uh, you can be dragged into an English court twice for the same crime. Now, they they don't convict you first. They have another opportunity if they find something compelling or new evidence, which has a very broad definition. Doesn't so, you're saying you're up for the death penalty again in Pakistan? Yeah, yeah. You just say it so casually. It's like people must be just mind blown. Um, How many times have you been up for the death penalty? Oh, only twice in any oh, serious twice. way. Only yeah. oh, twice in a serious way. Yeah, it's been bandied about here and there. Um, and the number of policemen have threatened me with death. I can't count. Uh, 
you know, I said, all right, well, just, I hope you're a good shot. Just do it already. Um, <clears throat> I was never a very good shot anyway. I, I put up a collection of old photographs on my own channel last week, and you can see, what was I, 20-year-old David with a big 357 Magnum in his hand with hollow points, of course. Well, do, do you remember in the earlier podcasts we did the series of the use lessness of guns yes series. yes yeah. yes well that was certainly uh um it was it was kind of like toys because there were so many of them but um really even to have one around it's a gift to uh, uh, the burglar isn't it oh thank you for the gun this will make this uh, robbery more effective now that i've got this let's it, just it, put it on the living room wall uh, yeah <laughs> that's true so um my diary was full of court appearances for that. Um, but you don't get left alone. Um, there's always somebody coming to, if you paid once, they want you to keep paying and so on. Now, to put pressure on everybody in the uh, little B-class street, some were untouchable, but um, they, they wouldn't hurt you, Sean, but they'd punish your servants. Mm. Now... Um, Pakistan Steel, I'll call him, rather than Usman Faruqi. Pakistan Steel had um, a little guy from Swat. Um, that's right up north. Very valley dairy. He was educated. Uh, um, <clears throat> he'd been caught adjusting the, uh, rewiring um, terrestrial satellite receiver. It, it, we used to get programs that were already stolen from uh, the international satellites. But so they called him off the roof and, and they were um, giving him a good beating with the chitta. That's the long leather belt that I, I told you it had inscriptions all over it. I love you a long time and all of that. You know. And not just written on it. I mean, this is chiseled out. So I, I went to Pakistan still. I said, look, um, uh, they've got your boy in there. Oh, he's always up to no good. The cheapskate wouldn't even go and get him out. Now, I knew if I went in there, you can see where this can go wrong. I go in there to stop the beating. What's going to happen? It's your problem. I own him now. I can stop it, but I'm paying this guy. I've started to pay him. I thought I already refused to pay any more rent on my uh, rooms. Um, I will kick Billy out. I'll pay you to do that. <laughs> oh, Billy had an ace up his sleeve. Um uh, I'll come back to that, but let me just finish with the, um, the the poor servant who was getting beaten. So I went to Khaled down in uh, the MQM splinter group um, that had the, uh, the Lebanese wife as their head. Anyway, Khaled um, heard my story, didn't like that practice of the servants being beaten to, to get it, the money out of others, marched over there virtually kicked open the door of the, the chief's office, screamed at him in a kind of guttural Cindy that I couldn't follow at all, tore the, the chitter out of the hands of the, uh, the kids, about it, threw it out the window, um, and then stormed off. And I, I limped out. Well, I wasn't doing the limping, but I carried out the one who'd been getting beaten. I mean, he was tiny, this guy. He, he showed me the welts. The, the, wasn't good for him. Um, so that seemed to me the best 
way of dealing with that. I mean, the, the deputy gave me a filthy look. And he more or less said, oh, well, so you're with that lot, are you? And I thought, yeah, all right, work on it. I'll work from my side. Um, and so you'd have this kind of complication. You can see how it's already complicated and it's getting more so. Um, now, um, right, uh, there was, I think my servants, they didn't really get into any trouble. But, um, yeah, that's what I was going to um, come back to. Why was I, you're probably thinking, I'm sure there are many people thinking this, in a place like that where people have accidents, very often, frequently fatal, why wasn't that happening to Billy Green? Well, because when I was last at court, Jeremy, the vice consul for the British High Commission in Karachi, um, they don't have embassies in um, countries that we used to own. They're called high commissions. Just a little reminder that we're still up there. That's a joke, but you know, there we are. Uh, Jeremy from there, um, he'd been sent some money on my behalf and, um, you know, he, he made a big cloak and dagger thing of having an envelope. I said, Jeremy, the more you look at around everywhere during a handover, the more people pay attention to this. So just give me the thing. Uh, I'll, uh, he said, by the way, be careful of uh, old uh, Will Power over there. I said, what, he's all bluster. No, no, it's not that. He said that he'll testify against you if things aren't going to go his way. Mm. He already came to us and asked to see the um, local police liaison, mm. if that would help his case at all. I said, well, Jeremy, will it help his case from your point of view? No, we don't care less. We know everything here and we don't care. There's nothing we can do anyway. Um, Rightio. So um, if, by chance, poor old Billy slipped in the shower, um, somebody would think I had something to do with that because, um, and that would make it, that would add another layer of complication to uh, my case, wouldn't it? because I would be paying not only to be freed from something I didn't do, but also for a supposed murder that I may or may not have instigated. See, people think that crime is very straightforward you, um, from film and television where you can, you have something, you're doing something, your competition you kill, your informers you kill. But uh, you've seen enough of it, Sean. It doesn't work that. If you can't outwit people, or at least match uh, their their cunning with a guile of another kind, things just get worse. It's like a chessboard. It is. So getting rid of, I I was forced to keep Billy under control. I had to. I couldn't live with him. That would have been just too much. Um, uh, but uh, I, I found him not bad place to live. I noticed some of the English crooks that were there had fallen to pieces completely in this system. It just didn't um, go in with anything they knew. Um, now, this Mason, the American, he'd gone completely absorbed into it. He used to run around in a shalwa kameez. He learned very good Sindhi, uh, as well as Urdu. He used to write poetry in Sindhi. I had to admire the little rat um, because uh, he'd done 
what a guy called Dean Reed had done back in Thailand. You remember that what the things that happened in Thailand, there was an American there who was helping me, uh, fleeced me f directly for 50,000 and more from friends. But, and I've always said, perhaps he did help me because he gave me hope when there was none. Now, Mason wasn't anything at that level, but he was of that style, that kind of young guy you meet sometimes who, okay, this is strange, but I'll embrace it. I'll learn it. I'll, I mean, you must have done some of that yourself. You have to adapt Arizona. to the environment, don't you? Otherwise you perish because mm. there's a language, there's a body language, there's guards rules, there's gang rules, and you come in day one and all that is in your face and it's completely alien to you. Mm. So unless you, you know, you're doing the prison walk and speaking the lingo and trying to fit in, then you, anything that stands out gets brutalized. Well, I suppose too, tell me if I'm wrong, once you found yourself in the Arizona prison, you had to observe and then create the Sean Atwood that was the survivor in the Arizona prison. May not have been you exactly, elements of you, most certainly, but it was, I'm guessing, a character that you had to form, the one who helped with the guy's writing, the one who um, gave them tips on business advice, perhaps because of your stock market experience, the one who was useful, the one who was liked, the one that people used to know, yeah, oh, yeah, Sean comes around and does whatever. I'm sure if somebody played a mean guitar, it would probably find you know a way in there. Whatever skill set you've got becomes your currency. Yes, yes, I guess it does. So um, um, this uh, um, uh, American guide kind of, I, I think he was always uh, a bit, uh, um, somebody who could kind of smooth in there. Um, he was caught with a couple of girls with uh, a few kilos each. Very strange place to go, especially with women. The women who got arrested uh, um, really stood out. We came to know in there of um, Tatiana, a Russian girl. She'd uh, she came from Krasnodar, which is a little bit south uh, in in what was well, no, it was uh, is it then Russia by then? Yes, it was. USSR had gone, but uh, when it opened up a bit. Um, She'd met a Nigerian student. Shall we call him a student? We shall. Um, I'm sure he did study things. <laughs> and um, being a good wife, she found herself doing a heroin run for the Nigerian husband uh, who had connections in um, their big hangout up there is uh, Ralpindi. But they don't like using Islamabad Airport. Uh, but still... She was caught um, at Karachi Airport and she had a, a young child. She thought somehow that, um, <laughs> and you know what's worse? The the customs and the officials there, they think all Russian girls are called Tatyana. And secondly, they're all prostitutes that's, because that's what they're doing here. They thought she was a prostitute, so they messed around with her and poked around on her bags. And a couple of kilos later, she's in the women's section. Now, uh, I went to visit her there, uh, not her particularly, but um, I'd met a guy called Robbie the Scot. Robbie the Scot was uh, accused, uh, and I'd read about his case um, 
a bit in the paper um, when I was there. He was accused of some fraudulently arranging bribes for the Guada oil and gas pipeline. Guada's down on the coast there next to Iran. So it was expected that he would turn up. He, in fact, said that he was just unlucky being at the Hyatt Hotel when some City of London police had visited and um, seen him there. Not exactly knew him of old, and he really wasn't a conventional fraudster in the sense. Okay, any banking documents that Robbie would give you would be treated more of artworks than actual you know, genuine documents. Uh, but the whole thing got a bit messy when one of the loans was guaranteed uh, by a European bank that sent uh, a fax to confirm something. But people don't remember... Think of fax headers. I know faxes are just about gone with wind, but they're sometimes used when there's a signature involved, aren't they? And the receiving machine, will, uh, no, the sending machine will have a very fine print at the top of what it was. And in this case, the instead of showing a bank in Zurich, it sh showed the Pearl Continental Hotel in downtown Karachi. Yeah. Uh, something picked up by the City of London Police and, and referred to their colleagues there. So he came in. And how did I know all about it? Well, I got around a bit anyway, but um, the young American kid uh, got released and one of the deputy chiefs called me up one day said, um, David, didn't you owe me money? No, no, not really. No, no. Look, have a look out there. And I saw a kind of ginger-headed, portly um, guy there, you know, Anglo, of course. Yes? Rich. Rich. Look at the newspapers. I want 25,000. Or a bundward. Uh-huh. What do you want me to do? Well, I'll talk to him. Put something in for yourself. Yeah. And, uh, and, and if, uh, if he doesn't have money or can't get it, well... Uh, you'll be sweeping. And they, the kids, they, they, they had nothing to sweep, really. So they, they had a, a bunch of sticks and they'd be sweeping the dirt, uh, just the ground. <laughs> uh, so I went over to Robbie and I said, look, uh, we're going to pretend that we're having a heated discussion and you're going to look like you're upset and tearing your hair out. Uh, I've been asked for some ridiculous amount of money. And he said, oh, there, I, I've been here a year in Pakistan, I know how it goes. You know, I'm ready for all of that. Okay. Um, you know, I'll, I'll pay uh, uh, $5,000 or something like that. <laughs> look, oh, look 5,000 rupees is about like uh, 50 pounds or something. That's what we're talking about here. You know, um, well, let's forget you've been here a year, but in this jail, local currency. And I think I mentioned it once before and talking about Afghanistan. Even there, all your dealings should be local currency. The moment you start bringing in euros or dollars, they put you in a different league. All the figures change. You know, you're just a fool running around with foreign money. And foreign money is printed from heaven and rains down upon us poor people. That's how it's supposed to work. And that's what you're going to do. Mm. <clears throat> so um, anyway, well, uh, 
we we played this charade, and I I, I looked over at the chief, and he went with sweeping gestures. You know, That's what he'll be doing. Anyway, I went back to him. We settled up for the equivalent of about uh, 120 pounds today, and a lot of talk tomorrow, um, which was good enough to to get in into uh, B class. But I didn't. Fancy that job, so uh, I did it badly. Mm. Not so badly that he'd hate me forever, but um, badly enough that he'd, he'd try and find somebody better. And while I was at it, I set him up against the other deputy chief that I was in trouble for for getting involved in the beating of the servant. Mm. I said, you know, he wants your job. <laughs> 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 and he's going to get it. <laughs> so, well, I kept those two busy for a while. <laughs> But things um, didn't go. Um, I, I was kind of finding my way around there, and going to court every six weeks for what is it, an hour or something. Um, the, the first lawyer just ran off with some money. The, another lawyer um, I met uh, was introduced to in my little B class street. His name was Zahor Bluch, and I kind of liked the Bluchy people, so. Um, and he knew Norjohn, who was there at the time. Yeah, in fact, Norjohn didn't know I'd been arrested and came out in, a, in his usual flowing white robes with his gold chains everywhere. David, no. Yes, no. <laughs> anyway, we did that until it became silly and then uh, a bit of hugging and, uh, you know. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, and then I, mm -hmm. I found out, you know, how he was living in his own kind of ruthless way in there, but he was respected um, too. But I didn't ask him to do anything for me. Uh, I knew better than that. You know, when you're in that kind of situation, figure it out yourself. Even don't panic. You're not going anywhere in a hurry. And uh, in case I forget to say it later, anybody arrested in India or Pakistan, it's very simple. The law says and it's unchangeable, that if your case isn't finished in two years, you get bail, even if you're a foreign devil. Mm. It has to be granted. The worst massacre murderers have been given bail after two years. Your court case will never finish in that time remotely, so put your feet up. <laughs> uh, read a few books. Don't splash your money all over town. Certainly don't give it to lawyers. Um... I run a Shamim as a lawyer in Karachi if you ever need one, though I think he's a judge now. He was quite good. Didn't you say that the higher class prisoners go to the court unchained? Yes, yes. Were you tempted to just get in that situation and it, walk it, out? It, 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 uh, I, I was in a way. Um, I'd, I'd go to court and I'd think it can be done like that. But I remembered where I was and I remembered lessons from Lebanon. I thought... If I say to somebody there, come and pick me up, they will. And they'll say, oh, you missed the turn here to the airport. <laughs> Where am I going? Huh? Where do you think I'm going, Sean, when somebody's picked me up from the courtroom and I'm a white man? Not a nice man. place. I'm going to somewhere expensive. That's where. Very expensive accommodation. So... Um, I realized that also, I, the, I knew I was going to win the case. So um, there wasn't the Shankman, Bill Shankmans of this world have got no uh, pull whatsoever in that town. 
it is everything is local um the the jail was its own kind of local world but um i really uh, oh yes yeah, so i met zahor baluch who'd been um if you want to get somebody arrested in in indian pakistan um you file an fir that's a first incident report that allows the police to come and annoy them and interview them over and if things don't go well they'll send them off to jail to to get themselves bailed out and if you don't like somebody that's what you do if you don't want to pay your lawyer uh you file a report saying you know he swindled me or something which was what happened to Zorbluch no he probably did do the thing that uh, <laughs> annoyed one of his clients um and he was under a bit of a cloud for um falsifying uh, some court records in his cases but i liked him he was uh, he, he was sort of friendly um i didn't trust him but um he was enough of an outsider to the karachi lawyer scene i'm i've been trying while i'm talking i'm trying to think of the name of the most corrupt lawyer in the whole town back then but there was one who owned stacks of judges just he drove around in you know wasn't a Rolls Royce but very big Mercedes he near illiterate that's the thing that upset the other lawyers not that he was paying off every judge but that he was just wasn't one of them i could barely read the court documents um if you had him you'd likely to walk but it would cost a fortune so that wasn't a way to go i thought i'll just toll back there and see what my judge is like and he was he was good i kind of like we got along well enough you know uh he eventually uh gave me a legitimate b class uh court order not that it actually did any good i still didn't entirely avoid the money thing um but uh while robbie was in um he he went over to the women's prison and met tatiana and formed a bit of a bond and he decided uh that all of the um the foreigners anyway who had um found themselves on this double jeopardy thing which that should be challenged because the constitution clearly said you can't be tried for the same thing twice so um we took it to the um sind high court for a ruling on that plenty of people had been finished their sentences but still couldn't go anywhere and these anti narcotics courts didn't really exist in the sense that there was only one or two venues for them and they'd been taken over by the new anti-terrorist court which had its own problems um <clears throat> so uh, a, a rent raise came up and um i was really limiting i i wouldn't play along entirely i i suppose i was just getting grumpy um i was depressed enough of having all this happen anyway but um i started to see a, a kind of a a weakness in the structure here and i thought i don't know i sometimes do this to myself Sean. i thought what is it about this bunboard thing anyway <laughs> and and what what about these people who had disappeared from here you never hear where do they really go so um um before I, I, I ended up moving out of my street into a slightly different one and had a couple of nights and i wondered why this i thought yeah sure they want some more money 
I thought I'll pay them a bit and get back to where I was. Um, and ended up spending a couple of nights with the most weird people. Can you imagine? There's a young medical student who's in there on, on some silly thing. I don't know. Didn't get along with the policeman. He got thrown in there. But he's a medical student, so um, he's in a kind of a B-class thing. But there's one other person in the cell, and this is a fat-headed, gabbing half-wit, and he's a policeman. And because he's a policeman, they, they give him, as a courtesy, a bit of B-class. Not the top B-class, but uh, whatever. Um, so um, the poor medical student, um, you know, if you know other languages or you start to pick them up, be careful admitting to it because this fathead would have been in my head all night. The medical student was saying, David, he's eating my brain. <laughs> What's he talking about? Oh, he's telling me about nights at the station and how they got somebody in and hung them upside down. And then there were some prostitutes and what he did to them. I want to die. I, I can't take the. Uh, maybe he's in the employ of, you know, but no, he was just an, a natural idiot. <laughs> and then, uh, so um, I couldn't take him either. And I moved to a kind of um, a, a room with a, a really wreck of a, a Danish guy that was ending uh, a sentence. But we, uh, we, we exchanged things, uh, notes and people we knew. Uh, and I met somebody else. I can't even remember how I, I came across him, who wasn't in B-class, very nervous uh, German guy. And this was Matthias. Um, and he'd been through Afghanistan, Pakistan. He got caught with a lot of hash once. And this was a hash case as well. But um, I tried to draw him out of that, but he was probably, you know, he'd asked around about me and he probably thought, no, this could be more danger than it might be because I was kind of going against them uh, a bit at this stage. But I was still having my Sunday lunches and the, um, um, you know, the, the, the house that this banker had built was kind of like a, a conventional English suburban house in a way but it had manicured lawns and air conditioning and its own satellite connections and it was just a house but it was very strange for it to be there um, and the Sunday lunches were well catered for and as I think I mentioned before all in English but all that came to an end when I could see I was being um, really uh, targeted there the case was droning on and I was going to going to win and I, I couldn't really do much about anything. My communications were better. So I had Carl, who was a Canadian uh, villain, uh, come over. And you'd think I'd know better by now. <laughs> Carl, what? Look, a couple of things. When you go to the court, Zahor Baluch, the lawyer that was inside, is now outside. I've given him some money, but I want you to go to the court and see if he's really making bail applications for me. Now, when you finish that, I want you to go to London. You get my keys by going down the uh, the mews. It's under where the rain is, and there's some codes I'll need you to, you to remember. I've written them out for you. Now, I've rolled them up in a little tube of paper because you'll stick that in a cigarette or something. I mean... I don't smoke. I can't look. Follow this. You've got to hide that piece of paper. It's the instructions on how to get into safety deposit boxes all around Scandinavia. Right, right, right. Now, 
if you're thinking, is Carl the right person for this job? Maybe not. But it, it would do what I say, and he wouldn't steal from me, um, and he was quite brave. So these are three good things, aren't they? The fact that he's a bonehead when it comes to the subtleties of... Uh, I mean, you must have found yourself there's quite a gulf between um, some kind of crooked business, let's just say, uh, might involve um, uh, market manipulation or um, some banking fraud, and um, the huge bulk of the people you're likely to meet in jail. Like their crimes are not really planned. They're often domestic. They're, um, they they mask what's really a history of um, sporadic and half-witted violence by saying, oh, no, uh, my thing is uh, I'm a high-end burglar. Well, but you stole a fucking gold-braided knickers on your way out. Uh, <laughs> you what? High-end burglar, yeah. Um, so... Um, I sent Carl off on that mission, and the reporting day came and went. No news, no news, no news. I was thinking all sorts of things. Um, I thought, well, what rule could he have broken? Nah, he wouldn't have done that. I gave him that number for emergencies, and he'd only ring it from... He got to Scandinavia and to Stockholm, and I'd left a few things lying around. So um, he's got into my safety deposit deposit box, mm. which is fine. He's taken out some cargo. And uh, there's about, um, well, they, I suppose he's meant to have left. I don't really know to this day. I was so enraged I didn't, didn't follow up on it. But there's two kilos of coke there that he's got. Now, um, you've got to meet somebody later on. And I said, He's, uh, he works for a newspaper. He gets back about six. He's like clockwork. He's no, you know, he's a raging junkie. He will always be at home for his seven o'clock fix. So if he's not, he's dead. But don't ring the number. The reason I've got it there is if you've got to warn him against something. Did I say, Carl, not to ring that number? Don't ring that number. Why? Well, you don't anyway, but the fact is, Billy Green here has been blabbing about everything, so I've got to assume he said something about Scandinavia. Um, <clears throat> and it doesn't take much to set them off over there. There's only a certain number of people involved in different levels of business. Anyway, just don't ring that damn number. Knock, knock. Hmm. Got two kilos here. Nobody home. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, he has uh, left the two kilos with, um, oh no, no, he, he didn't, he was sensible enough not to take it with him night one. He's put, where's he put it? That left it in the bank vault where it was supposed to be? Hidden it in a hotel room? No. You know, hotel corridors have got big heavy bits of furniture. You can leave them up. Nobody's going under there for a while. It'll do for overnight. No, no, no. A railway locker. I mean, people, you know this, don't you, about railway lockers? They get cleared every day. <laughs> I mean, the second most dangerous lockers in the world, the most more dangerous ones are airport lockers. Uh, not that you'll even find them anymore, but they used to exist. So... Um, 
arrangements are made. Um, uh, he's supposed to. He was given some money that was owed to me about uh, seventy-five thousand, um, seven hundred and fifty thousand Swedish krona, so seventy-five thousand pounds. Um, heads off with that. Is supposed to bring the coat back the next day. Uh, goes to his hotel room. Swamp. Police in there. Uh, mm. Oh, by the way, what's he done with the key to the locker? <clears throat> it was just sitting in his suitcase. What's the point of hiding something in a locker if you're going to keep the key with you? This is a man who quite successfully robbed a few banks, you know, quite peaceably. It wouldn't shoot anybody, but they didn't know that. Um, you know, shut the security screen. So... Well, anyway, I guess he just was an idiot. Uh, I remember him smiling at me one time later on, saying, "Oh, I, I, uh, I, I did save that uh, other eight ounces, and I, I sent it off to uh, our friends in Australia." What do you mean, Carl? You don't know anything about sending a letter, let alone. Uh, oh no, it was a very good idea. And he looked around conspiratorially. Sure, no. In it, in a little statue. I'll never look in there. Carl, since statues were invented, they've been hiding things in there. When pottery was in Mesopotamia, somebody hid <laughs> his shackles in there. Because <laughs> they'd never made it. But worse than that, um, Carl had never made it. He was held under um, uh, a Swedish law. You can hold somebody incommunicado for three months. Mm. That's still, I think that's still the case today. It certainly was then. What the hell? Um, yeah, you're not allowed to talk to anybody. You can have a lawyer, but the lawyer can't give you any documents. He can only read them to you. If you want to visit family, you can only do it in police headquarters. They'll take you from the jail to police headquarters, and they'll sit there while you talk to the family. So they can hold you for three months on suspicion. Yeah, and have it extended. Um an old pal there from Christiania, which we haven't come to, some other series, um, he was held for 22 months in solitary. And when you exercise, um, you go out one at a time so you can't talk to each other. Wow. And into a big circular yard with kind of orange segments uh, like that. So you have one little yard to yourself and they have a tapping code. Okay. Yeah. So um, it, it might be all huggy and friendly and, you know, Ikea, mm -hmm. but they uh, certainly know how to treat their prisoners. They used to have them wear masks mm. the entire sentence. You're running around, well, not yourself, but as you moved about the prison, you had to wear this mask with eye holes in it. And the, the old church there used to have, um, the pews had very long wooden things so you couldn't see the guy praying next to you. No, they didn't want criminals mixing together because it would make them more criminal. Mm. Huh, who would have thought that? <laughs> Uh, anyway, so that was Carl. That's gone. That's dead. He's destroyed. What wasn't destroyed by Billy Green has been ground into dust by, by Carl. And that, uh, ladies and germs, is uh, because I didn't follow my own rule book, which says if you've got anything hidden and something's going to expire and you send somebody to stop you know, rental not being paid or, or deposit boxes not being set up for another year, you run a huge risk of making things worse. Um, having said that, it's a hard decision to make. 
Um, I've got a bank account down at the BBVA in Knightsbridge. I just can't get to uh, because uh, the documents for that are all gone. Mm. Um, I even dug up the the real person on whose documents it was based. Mm. And I lined it out. I said, there's money there. You want to go get it? Yeah. yeah. 20 years ago? No, thanks. <laughs> okay. So um, we're back in Pakistan and things are not going really well. Um and I'm now in an argument with that. My kind of resources are dried up. Um, I'm not broke, but I'm starting to have to be a bit thoughtful how long this is going to take and and who I have to pay. So I'm not bringing in the last of it until I know exactly who to pay off. So it means I'm not paying any of these people. So, um, I think I was living with the old Danish guy. I was too, uh, down in a sort of sub B class. Door opens at night. Uh, guards come in. I don't like the look of them. I mean, I don't like the look of them at the best of times, but uh, I didn't like the, their manner. It was like they had a very specific job to do. Uh, and uh, they lifted up something in the corner, and uh, my phone was there. But I'd already paid for that phone about seven times. No, we found a phone. It was like, um, what was the policeman's name in Casablanca? Saying, I'm shocked, shocked to find this gambling going on in here. He says in Rick's Casino. You know, <laughs> this guy's saying, I'm shocked. A phone, a terrible thing. They don't exist in here, don't you know? <laughs> All right, where's this going? So I end up in the Bund Ward that night, led away. I thought, wow, they really do want their money. Uh, now, I'm handcuffed by uh, a guy that I've already paid off. And, um, oh, and actually, I didn't see him the first night there. Um, I was just thrown into the cell. He pulled that stunt the next day. But I, I got talking with the guys. And you can imagine there's no cigarettes down there. So they were all desperate for a smoke. Mm. And they're working out little ways. That, and one of them had a match poked into the uh, the mud brick wall that he was saving for the smoke that never turned out. And there was a, a, a trustee working down there as well. You can imagine what he was like. Um, and there's sort of groans coming down from uh, the other cells. So in the morning, I get called out. I'm thinking, good, uh, I've got somebody to negotiate here with. And it was this uh, fathead that was in charge of the bun board. And you know, and he looked at me and thought, mm, "Not really. Can't go too far there." I said, "Listen, whatever you're thinking of doing, I, uh, and I was sort of a bit lost there because I was going to threaten them with the embassy, but they knew too well that the British embassy or the High Commission doesn't give a toss what happens. They're, they're not terribly frightened of that, but a little bit of that." You know, I, I said, I've got passports for seven countries. Well, that confused him. Is that right? No. Anyway, all he managed to do was he, he put the handcuffs on behind me um, and the kind you can't pick. Not that easily. They have a kind of conical tube down them, very old-fashioned ones, museum pieces they were. And I thought I was going somewhere, but I wasn't going. I was just led back to myself. And then the guy said, no, that's day one, you know, you 24 hours in handcuffs. How do I use the toilet? I said, with help. <laughs> okay. Um, 
Lance was brought around, a uh, very gritty um, um, bread, flatbread, and um, equally gritty beans. Um, presumably, if you were no, if you have, you don't stay down there. This is not a place for people who've got means or any resources. But these poor people from just been arrested, getting their introduction. You know, on arrival at the prison, they'd be the old hand that uh, pinched my money that day. He he kind of sort them out and tell the boss, ah, good one here, he's being polite to me. This one's got an education. Oh, look, family out there. <laughs> uh, really not prepared for any of it. And they uh, just um, belt them to pieces. Mm. And they, I could see the uh, trustees who were doing the belting because they're too lazy to do it, the guards. Mm. I was worn out from hitting this guy, and you know, I just couldn't. And he was hysterical. I mean, he was hurt, of course. I could understand that, but it was just a nightmare. I think he he was gone by that afternoon. He um, he got his family to stump up the money, whatever it was. But what to do with me? Um, I get brought before uh, a slightly higher. Um, deputy governor and he was looking uh, saying uh, uh, we can't take your money anymore I said well that's convenient because I'm not going to give you any um, well we can't do anything with you uh, yeah. it's a very ambiguous word Sean we can't do anything it means something is going to be done with you but it won't be good okay um a couple of guys are running around and they, they've seen me there and come up and I'm rapid firing off messages for Robbie the Scot and other people, uh, uh, get colored and get somebody else. And uh, But, you know, when somebody's um, under such a cloud, you know, they, nobody wants to know you. you know. Um, <clears throat> I, um, I was thrown into a van, bumped along a country road somewhere, Oddly enough, I, I I did have a few seconds to uh, get some of my bedding and stuff from uh, my room over there. So that was bundled up like a huge thing um, and and went into the back of the van with me. Um, didn't know where I was headed. I knew I was going north. Um, that's all you could tell from the sun. Uh, guards didn't want to know. And I was taken to Hyderabad prison. Now, there's two Hyderabads, one in India and one in Pakistan. The one in Pakistan is about 100 kilometers north of Karachi. Um, very old prison, another uh, built by the Raj. Um, and where was I taken there? The Bund ward, uh, the, the, the closed ward. But it wasn't run in the same way. I mean, Karachi was... Uh, I'm going to say just a, a, a grinder, a meat grinder. People would come in and they'd get whatever they, they could with them. I'd had officers from staff from Karachi who were really, um, you could tell they were educated. Uh, one quite senior one was very apologetic. He said, David, I, you know what I've been sent here to ask you? I said, I know what you've been sent. But I speak English very well, so that's why they asked me. And yes. Well, I, I don't want to even say it. It's too embarrassing, you know. I, I said, well, look, there's, there's a portrait of the founder of the country on the banknote. That 100 is 
and he's not talking about hundreds. I suppose he's not talking about hundreds, but, you know, some excuse. Money's coming, lost too far away from home, all of that. Now, um, but so the it's a little bit different in Hyderabad. The bun was definitely closed. You don't see anyone. It's very dark. Uh, the cell I was giving didn't have any natural light. Uh, all I could see by the time I turned a couple of corridors was uh, a glow from sort of third-level reflection. And then that was it. Nothing more. Um, the next day, uh, so quiet too. And then it was a bit like that silence of Papillon's Island where he's in solitary. Not, not as quiet as all that. You'd hear the, um, uh, the Badashi coming around to refill the, this, um, Madka, it's called. It's a, a big jar where all the water is. He'd be topping that up so that the dead insects could float to the top. <laughs> and you, you didn't have the, the, the little bowl or whatever. It didn't quite go through the bars to, to get to it properly. So you'd scoop up some and <laughs> have to kind of tip it through to get any there. Uh, not, not really enough to, uh, to wash. But oddly enough, this very polite, um, uh, well brought up guard had been transferred because he was useless to them down in Karachi. He wouldn't play along with that game. And he'd ended up there and he said, um, um, he had a couple of chairs brought and we were sitting in the sun in this quiet courtyard of this place. Um, and, you know, the, the governor here, he wants 25,000 U.S., and we had this, I mean, how many times have I said that figure sitting in this chair? This, this is your corrupt official starting point. <laughs> U.S. dollars and 25,000 of them. It might, might be like triple eight. It's the um, uh, Indo-European version of uh, the Chinese lucky number or something like that. Well, um, I said, no, you're going to have to give him a lot of stories. And it's actually true. I can't communicate with anybody here anyway. Um Tell him it's coming when I get to my friends. Not that much. He's, he can have a thousand or something. Oh, and by the way, I, I need my bedding and everything like that. Oh, I don't know. He won't like I said, don't tell him. But they all right. Yeah. So I got that. And I, I was still back in the sort of dungeony, um, lightless room. But I could, it was enough of a glow during the day to, lay out my uh, little eider-down duvet mattressy things. And I could put my shoes by my side, and I had um, a few bits of um, paper that I could make a path because the, the floor was just earth in this, this thing. It wasn't even concrete. I suppose if you were patient, you could actually chip your way through the whole thing. Anyway, um, and... And that was it. I just got used to the idea of nothingness. And it was somehow, for a while anyway, a bit of a holiday. I wasn't being chased by Bill and the boys. I, I was not having to you know, pay strict attention to some smuggling protocol. I, I wasn't having to do any of this. Um, this place was, you know, they, in fact, the guy who ran it, Wanted to be everybody's pal. Um, 
they weren't going anywhere until they settled a score with the uh, the bosses. But and I wasn't going anywhere till I paid up. Um, the, the well-spoken one came back and was almost in tears, saying, "Oh, he's." Punish me so much for me giving your your bedding to you, but that was it for me. I was happy. I I thought about all the things I didn't have time to think about and, and organized my. I wouldn't say I was happy. This is probably the wrong word. I mean, when you've been arrested in um, a place where the law could be anything anyway. And then been disappeared to a jail. Nobody knew I was there. Nobody knew where it was. I was listed for court twice, and there's just no show. And the judge said, "Well, where is he? Oh, we don't know." Well, I sent the order down to Karachi Central Jail, and he's not here. Well, we don't know. Nobody knows anything. Was it weird to not have anything to do and just to spend time with your own thoughts? Um, I'd thought of. Uh, what did people do? Uh, you know, there's a few old prison diaries I'd read when I was young of what. Uh, see, you always get your questions answered sooner or later, Sean, don't you? Um, <clears throat> um, people who were smarter than me. Uh, there was a mathematician arrested by the Nazis who used to do theorems or something in his head, but you know, I ran out of things to do quite quickly on that. Um, but I did uh, imagine. Um, uh, I designed a house inside my head. And to this day, what, uh, over 20 years later, I can tell you every floorboard in that house I designed in my head, every paint combination, what the bench tops looked like, what uh, cutlery and crockery were in there, what the bedding was like, what fabric it was made of, um, what the tiles on the roof. It was a, It's a living picture in my mind. It was so detailed wow. um, that I can dream at night and imagine I'm wandering around this house. Didn't Hannibal Lecter do something similar? Um, I, 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 don't, I can't remember. Um, what did he say that he, he, he did in his mind? Did I don't know. He did his classical music on. He was drawing. Oh, yes, that's right. He, but he, he also did. didn't, wasn't the part where he like went into rooms of a house and stuff? Oh, no, I must have missed that. Uh, but yes, it would would make sense. I started work on a, a boat design, um, and also um, you run through the bits of history, you know, and do some what ifs. You know, what if the atomic bomb had been invented later or earlier? Would it be more dangerous? What if um, uh, Franz Ferdinand had uh, not been shot? Would there be World War One? All that kind of stuff. If Alexander the Great had gone on to uh, conquer India, would it mean that Western civilization would have spread more? Than, you know, just, and, but as a, as I was kind of starting to uh, run out of, uh, starting to worry a bit, well, this could be it. Um, I know it won't be, so don't worry about it, but um, just didn't seem to be anything else. It was as lost, I think, as anybody from up out of the world can be. Um, not just arrested, but in a strange place. Not just in the, the regular strange jail, but in the one you don't know anything about. Not just the jail there, but within a closed section of it. Did you have an exercise routine? Yeah, yeah, I did that. That was my clock. What was it? I had to um, 
Um, the usual things, push-ups, sit-ups, nothing, because I wasn't eating uh, very much, the food would be brought around in a bucket, and because they couldn't open the door, they were very hard to open because they didn't, they rusted out, they didn't get um, used much. They had to put some rain pipe guttering through the bars and pour the sloppy dal down the, and you'd be given a bit of bread and you'd catch it in that. you catch it in your hands? Yeah, you catch it wow. in your hands, yeah. Um, <laughs> and that was it. But, was, it was there a um, lot of insects down there? Oh, yeah, plenty. I yeah, did a bit of um, uh, ethnobiology there and uh, um, checking out. What's the study of insects particularly? I forget. But um, I did befriend somebody there. They sent some guy down to see me uh, to encourage me to pay up. And the most unusual person, his name was Byron... Uh, I'll think of it in a minute. Um, he was the third generation uh, English leftovers from the Raj. His parents had been there in the 20s and even up until, um, and stayed on in the 40s. Uh, and he was a kind of ginger nut, a redhead, really. Had a, a fine old colonial style <laughs> moustache. Would have been about uh, 38, 40 at the time I, I met him. You know, um, he had freckly skin, but he grew up and was born in, in Pakistan. Um, he would have been entitled to a British passport once, but they pulled that particular rug out from uh, what are about 200,000 um, English-looking Pakistanis that um, have no local DNA in them. Um, but they've just been left out careless in packing when leaving the empire. They didn't take them with them. Or they had children and they had children and met wow. another European girl or an English girl and, and married there in the 50s or, or 60s or something. Um, and, yeah, there, there's, there's so many of those. Anyway, it was perhaps the wrong choice of person. It was good for me because he brought me very humble but little bits of food every day. Um but he he said, look, the, the governor's asked me to get money, but look at me, I never do anything. Everything I've got has been through hunger strikes. And he had the telltale scars on his mm. um, lip there where um, he'd sewn his lips together so they mm. couldn't force feed him. Wow. And um, he said to me, oh, why don't you go on hunger strike? They'll let you out of here. But <laughs> the slightly friendly... Uh, other, other um, Bundward guard said, um, look, do you realize what that involves? We're supposed to take you out and beat you every day, three times mm -hmm. a day. I said, yeah, well, I'm not rushing into any hunger strikes. I know, I I, um, I kind of put up with that. I heard his story, and it was a long one, an interesting one, about his parents and upbringing and background. But I was content to stay there. We should probably um, leave it as a mystery as to what happens next, because we're at two hours. Well, uh, I at least got to say um, what changes. Yeah, go for it. Um, in the Bund Ward, everything's looking hopeless. I've got no contact with anybody. When there's a rush at my door, that rusty gate is prized open. The governor wants to see you, or the superintendent's the word they use. Super, well, I, I think I know what's coming there. Um, 
and I, I think it's just because it's a stronger pitch for money. I get taken to there. All the guards are being very respectful towards me. I don't know whether this is another gambit. Um, and I'm lit up these old colonial Aristotle curled stairways and into an office which opens up. And there, the, the prison superintendent's smiling at me in a way which is, everything's nice. And who steps forward, surrounded by armed guards, their own uh, rifles at the ready? It's his lordship, Lord John Magsy, mm. freed mm. recently on bail, mm. heard through his own network that I'd been disappeared to Hyderabad, came down there with his men to either find out what's happening with David or somebody will have to answer for it. <laughs> and he'd brought a cake. <laughs> so we had tea and cake with Nor John and the prison governor, who is fawning and being polite. Because after all, Nor John uh, could just as easily say, kill every one of them. He had 30 men outside. Uh, he didn't know what he was going to face. Um, so uh, he'd come prepared. Wow. And so, you know, virtually said, what do you want? I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, travelers, uh, don't be afraid to go to exotic places, but make sure you're friendly with some honorable people from the tribal lands. You never know when you might need them. And you can. If you want to know what happens next, tune in for part nine. And please support David. He's... YouTube channel link is down there in the description box below the video. And I'm actually putting out some um, uh, videos uh, at the moment. And um, you will have answered the one of how do you collect the ransom money next time. We've got links to these books. Escape. Massive detail about the escape from death row in Thailand. And even more in an unforgiving destiny. Even more in an unforgiving destiny, which should be available as an audio book by the time you get this, if Amazon... Don't reject David's voice. <laughs> well, yes, I don't think they care about the content so much. As I think as long as they recognize me as human and not a machine. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this, please put a comment or a question for David in the comment section below. Huge thank you to all the people who've donated on Patreon, PayPal, Just Giving to enable us to produce podcasts at the studio level quality like we are today with our Camera crew and James. Very and professional. Joe. Very professional. Yes. Lavish almost. Yes. And now we're all going to go on our lunch break. So. Okay then. Well, I'll uh, uh, see you on the other side, as they said in uh, what was that movie? The Town. Mm. A, a good villain uh, hold-up movie. That one. Okay then. Toodaloo. Cheers. <laughs> see you soon. <laughs> Take care.